All right, everyone, welcome back to Coffee with Gray Mass. I'm Miles. I am Aaron. And this week we're doing a little bit of a different episode. We thought we would kind of um, talk a little bit about the history of Gray Mass, uh, let Aaron talk a little bit about his background, what led him to uh, starting the company originally with Scott, and um, yeah, give some kind of background on how this company has grown and evolved over the years. Um, so I think with that, Aaron, the first question I would ask is, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh, professionally prior to starting Gray Mass and maybe even prior to getting into the crypto space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I first and foremost, I guess I've been doing software development since the 90s, I want to say. Um, and which, I mean, even before that, I was doing software development, but it was very amateur. Um, so I started cutting my teeth on that really early on in life and kind of gravitated towards it. And that led me through uh, a number of different industries. Um, I started out at like ISPs and um, other web-based companies before the web was really popular, which really has kind of informed a lot of my opinions about adoption of technologies like this. Um, from there, I moved into like more IT and some like government government support and programming and stuff like that. Uh, then moved into the publishing industry and got introduced to like content distribution systems, um, like blogging and news and things like that. Um, and then I ended up moving out to California to get into the gaming industry um, because all along one of the passion, some of the passion projects I would take on were related to gaming websites um, and like gaming tools like a tool that could help you calculate the best way to optimize a character or do a thing in a game or something like that. So I had this mashup of like content distribution, uh, community engine building, and just tools in general. So I was in the gaming industry for maybe five years or so, uh, left that and got into the startup scene. Um, started working on a crowd or a crowdsourced review site, um, which kind of combined that content distribution and community theme. Uh, and then as we were like really digging our teeth into uh, this review system, we're like, you know, we don't have a great way to do the authenticity of people doing reviews. Uh, I think at that point in time, this was maybe like 20... 15 2016 something like that um there were there was kind of the rise of um fake yelp reviews you know and yelp could moderate it yelp could ban people they could uh kind of control the narrative uh there was kind of the rumblings of like yelp i don't want to use the word extortion but um like doing things that were unfavorable to businesses based on their policies and we didn't want to get stuck in that loop so we started thinking about decentralized technologies that led us into blockchain. Uh, I got involved in Steam and started just kind of combining that couple decades of development experience I had with blockchain technologies and how we could mesh it all together. So, so you were kind of seeking out decentralized technologies and that's what led you to, to discover Steam and other things. Do you remember the first time that you heard about crypto? Yeah, it was before then. Um, it was mostly at the currency point. I think I I played with Bitcoin mining maybe in 2012 or something like that. I don't know that I ever actually got it to work or if I did get it to work, I 
you know, it was pennies at that point or sub pennies. I was just like, oh, this is fun. Were you mining on a CPU at that point? Yeah. Wow. So no idea if I ever made anything. If I did, those hard drives are gone. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't for probably four years after that, like, I maybe spent like two weeks doing CPU mining. Um, And then it was like four years later that I was like, oh, yeah, crypto. And then stumbled into, oh, it can do more than just currencies. And that's when that like light bulb clicked that I could use this for other web related things. Um, I didn't I didn't know I was looking for decentralization when I was trying to solve this review problem, but it it was the solution. (laughs) It kind of fell into my lap. Yeah. And then when you discovered that and kind of fell into the steam world, you, did you stop working on the review site and decide to go all in on crypto? Uh, I tried to merge the two for a little while, um, but I was still relatively new at understanding how the blockchain actually worked. So it, I, I went back to kind of the content roots. And one of the things that I really started pushing for on steam was different content engines to display the content from that blockchain. Um, it's steam. If you don't know about it is a, there's a long story to that, but it, it, at its heart, it's a blockchain for content creation and rewarding content. Um, now the community for it's called hive. There's a huge backstory to this. Um, but yeah, I kind of went back to what I knew better, which was content systems. Like I worked on a forum. I tried to take the steam blockchain and convert it into a forum structure and it worked really well. Um, what was the name of that project? Uh, chain BB. Okay. So one of the, one of the most popular forum softwares was called PHP BB, um, BB for bulletin board and PHP for the programming language. So I was like, all right, well, this is a blockchain bulletin board. So chain BB, um, and it worked really well, but the thing was, is that onboarding users was really, really hard because we had to tell them to go to this other website and then there was no good wallet and no way to interact and kind of let us down this rabbit hole or at least me down this rabbit hole of like, okay, we need good onboarding tools and we need good wallets because if people are going to use products like this, they, they need a good user experience from the very, very start getting set up in the decentralized environment before they even use your application. So here we are today. So. It was in that Steam. Well, I guess let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, you got more and more involved in Steam, and eventually you became a block producer on Steam. Correct? Was that uh, before or after the chain BB? Uh, I think it was around the same time. Um, at I think it was about that point. I kind of learned about block production and the community voting, and people in the community were voting people who were creating cool things and providing value to the ecosystem. So I became a block producer, and then couple months after that, maybe a year after that, uh, I decided to quit doing startup stuff and start doing crypto full time um, and moved into the space. And I've been here ever since. So I think that's an interesting point. So for people who don't know, Steam had a similar architecture to EOS. It was a a delegated proof of stake blockchain. um, And so there were a number of elected block producers. But I also think there was a lot of differences in terms of how block producers worked on Steam. Were they even called block producers or was it uh, witnesses? They were called witnesses. Yeah. Which is also what BitShares, I think, before that called them and this whole evolution of delegated proof of stake. 
But yeah, it might be interesting. Talk a little bit about the differences between what it was like to be a block producer on Steam versus on ES. Pretty different. The key difference, I want to say, is that on Steam, uh, the block producers were individuals. And you were kind of propped up by the social platform itself that was Steam. Um, You know, you announced your candidacy on the Steam blogging platform and you engaged with the community there. So you're like the people who would vote for you were already using this social network. And it had this great symbiotic relationship of if you were a blog producer, you were writing about what you were doing on this platform, engaging on this platform and building on this platform. Um, it, It was the blockchain itself was like purpose built for this. And while you could try to do other things on the blockchain, it was not uh, a smart contract platform, for example. Um, Then when EOS came along, we had kind of assumed, or I had kind of assumed it was going to be individuals as well, like back when it was originally announced, because that's what Steam was. It was individuals as block producers running infrastructure and doing things to provide value. And then communicating that value to token holders, token holders would vote for you, and then the network would pay you. Um, EOS kind of turned that on its head, and all of a sudden, all the block producers were organizations. They were full teams of people um, that were registering, not as themselves, but as like these uh, collectives or companies or whatever they ended up being. So that was a big shift. And the other big shift was no longer was the blockchain single purpose. It could be used for anything. Yeah. And I think another shift that probably took a little bit more time was that it's, it seems like on Steam, maybe the um, block producers were sort of like the overlap between like worker proposal and, and block producer was, was high. Whereas um, on, on EOS, it wasn't, it, it was a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, a lot of that, came back to that community engagement of, you know, you're a block producer on a social network. So you're engaging and people are seeing that value in voting. And EOS kind of started that way. But then a lot of the proof of stake and delegated proof of stake models changed over to be more of this rewards sharing model and infrastructure providers exclusively. So obviously we do more than just produce blocks. Um, but it's, that's one of the differences between these two, you know, experiments who I don't, I haven't kept up on steam or hive or any of the, like the, that side, I just haven't had time. It's not that I'm not interested. Um, but I don't know if those have evolved to be more like all the other delegated proof of stake networks or the proof of stake networks with delegations. Cause I think there's a slight difference there, but, um, yeah, it, the industry and these chains have certainly evolved a lot and changed for both good and bad, I would say. Yeah. Well, let's backtrack a little bit back yeah. to the scheme world. Um, at what point did you connect with Scott and what was your original reason to start collaborating? Uh, I think it was maybe the first year or so of Steam. It might have even been before I was a, a block producer there, but um I met Scott on Steam through the kind of social networking aspects of it. Um, and as I think he was a block producer before me, 
Uh, he's, he was always into the kind of tech and op side before I was. Um, and when I became a block producer, uh, we started talking more and more about infrastructure. I think at one point, both Scott and I independently were operating as block producers that were providing some of the like most robust API services for the network. Um, I learned a lot of how to do that from him, but I had, you know, years of Linux experience before that optimizing like APIs and other uh, web 2.0 style applications. So we got to talking and, you know, it, we probably just remained uh, acquaintances and um, we engaged a lot in a lot of great conversations for, I don't know, two or three years. So, and then when EOS came about and we saw this change, the shift from individuals to organizations, we we're like, well, neither of us have an organization. You want to, you want to team up and do this? And uh, that's how we got started on EOS with Graymask. And that was during what time period? Like early 2018? Yeah, it might have even been like the end of 2017. Um, those years are, it feels like so <laughs> long ago. <laughs> it was it was so long ago honestly yeah that's true especially in crypto <laughs> world but yeah so you guys you guys formed the entity and then at that point did you start actively campaigning to become a block producer like what was the uh scene like i guess at that time prior to the launch of the chain uh there were a lot of small groups kind of running test nets really early on uh we got involved in that and the telegram discussions and um just really starting to look at like how this was different from what we were used to. So yeah, there were various test nets leading up to launch that we participated in. We kind of used Steam as a platform to elevate ourselves into EOS as it launched. Um, we were still blogging on Steam. We announced Graymass on Steam. Um, and I think for maybe even the first year talked on Steam specifically about how, what we believed in in governance and services we provided and gave little insights into, you know, what we were doing because that's, you know, both of us coming from Steam, that's how we knew to uh, foster the growth of our block producing entity. It's like, we just communicate what value that we're bringing to the network and token holders would read it and support us. And then we have a method to fund this entity, essentially. So that's kind of, I would say, maybe like from pre-launch up to maybe the end of the first year or so, um, how we operated and still, you know, used Steam and we're kind of leveraging the knowledge we had. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I do remember this time around the, the chain going live, uh, but I wasn't in the block producer world yet. I was at Multicoin Capital, so I was still paying attention to it. But I wasn't boots on the ground in the same way that you were. So was Graymass uh, involved in the launch of the chain? Yeah, we were one of the, I don't, I don't know what order we were registered in, but uh, we registered on day one. We started collecting votes on day one. I think within the first week, we had a prototype of a wallet released. Uh, EOS Voter, for people who were around at mm -hmm. the launch of the chain, uh, and we scrambled to get a first version out because when EOS launched, there could have been multiple EOSs that launched. And the one that was going to be deemed official is the one that activated 
15% of the total tokens staked on the network. Um, so it was kind of this race for these chains. And there was really, I mean, there was really only one, but um, the activation of the chain and block producers couldn't be selected until 15% of the tokens started participating. Tokens from the ICO that block one did. Um, it was all based on the snapshot of that. So we got that first version of EOS voter out and it was literally a voting application. You loaded in your private keys that you registered during the uh, ICO period and it gave you an interface to vote for block producers to help activate the chain. So that's kind of the origins of Anchor as well. I, uh, I, before I was a member of Team Graymass, I cast my first uh, votes on mainnet using the EOS voter wallet. I was an early adopter. It's a super early story of a lot of people. Um, I mean, this was at the point, I don't know if Scatter was out yet. Like we didn't have, I don't think a full-fledged wallet. It was either you use EOS Voter or maybe there was like an early version of Scatter that I was just unaware of. Or you I used think the that command there line. was, yeah, if I remember correctly, Scatter was out, but there was only, they someone built a very simple web interface where you could log in with scatter and, and cast votes, but it was like not super reliable. And as far as I remember, EOS voter was really the only place to reliably cast votes. And I think another thing we had going for us was that my past history in steam was that I built a wallet for steam. And so I had this kind of like trust built in my name for all of the people that came from that ecosystem, they're like, oh yeah, we use his wallet on Steam so we can trust this EOS voter with our private keys because that was a big thing uh, in the early days. It's like, what wallet can I actually trust that's not just going to steal my keys and then steal my tokens? So, And the wallet, the wallet that you built for Steam was called what? Uh, it was called Vessel. <laughs> and was it a uh, browser extension or an external application? It was an external application. Uh, I think the first version of EOS Voter was actually just a modified version of it. So yeah, if I remember correctly, when I was using Steam early on, everything was handled basically in the browser. So were, were, was Vessel the first um, external wallet that was created for Steam? Yes, I believe so. Um, and it was, it might have been one of the first wallets that ever allowed you to like use an external wallet that integrates with a, a dap like dap was not a word at that point in time i don't think yeah um but it vessel had this um i, I guess i'll just a signing request protocol that you could from a web application say i want to perform this transaction and it might be that you were voting on something or writing a post or something um, and then it would pop up in Vessel and you'd approve the transaction. So that was a very, very early version of what the EOSIO signing request protocol and Anchor eventually turned into that we're using today. And what about on the block production side early on? Was Graymass um, top 21 pretty soon after the chain launched? Yeah, I want to say within a couple weeks, we ended up in the top 21 and we stayed there for six months or something like that. Um, I think by the end or the, cause we launched in a June and I think by the end of that year, we were no longer in the top 21, but we were very close and kind of bouncing in and out for a while. Um, so that 
kind of gave us that kind of initial capital and confidence to keep going. And if I remember correctly, it seemed like very early on, you know, today people know Graymass as having a number of user facing products. Um, but early on, the, uh, you know, I remember like EOS Voter as being the otherwise known as the Graymass wallet. Um, and then outside <laughs> of that, I thought of Graymass as a very infrastructure heavy block producer. Yeah. Yeah. We really early on, like a lot of our block production rewards from those first couple months went into buying hardware. Um, and we set, we co-located those, we set them up, um, and we took all the knowledge we had from running steam APIs, uh, over the previous years and kind of applied that to EOS and ended up being able to put up some really reliable, solid infrastructure that the wallets could use, the apps could use. And, you know, even even to today, like since then, we have been serving out like hundreds of millions of API requests a month. Um, and it's always been something we kind of did. And those really early days, we were one of the only ones doing that at that scale. Um, over time now, there are a lot of block producers that have gotten really good at this. Uh, so it's great that we're no longer alone. Uh, but very early on, we kind of were. Uh, there might have been one or two other entities that were capable of handling the same amount of load. So I, I kind of want to talk about the transition between like that point in, in EOS and where Graymass is today. And it reminds me of something you said earlier in the conversation, which was when you started trying to build apps on top of Steam, you realized that there was all this stuff that needed to be built in order to make those apps viable for end users. And I feel like that's kind of a similar story with Graymass on EOS, which is that... Um, you know, I, I think you and other people on the team have, have talked about the idea of eventually building um, apps because there's a lot of ideas and, and cool stuff there. But there was so much that needed to be filled in in the meantime to make sure that users could uh, reliably and easily access and use these dApps. And it seems to me like that's a lot of what led to the creation of things like Anchor, things like Graymass Fuel, things like Unicove. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that started in the Steam era with Vessel um, and has continued to today. I mean, we like most, the most modern thing we're working on now is this like SDK proposal for the coalition. Um, but that is like one, the most current step of a journey that started, you know, six or seven years ago at this point to work on that user experience and make it so that these applications were accessible not only to like blockchain enthusiasts, but to everyone. Um, it should be just as easy to use these applications as it is for you to use uh, traditional social media or, you know, whatever Google product you may use, for example. Um, that's been a very long journey. And um, really early on back in the Steam days, that is when I met Johan, who is uh, one of our other developers who joined at the same time you did, actually, Miles. Mm -hmm. um, and Johan and I, back in the Steam days, uh, collaborated a little bit on the signing protocol that Vessel was using. He had some improvements to it. We started talking, collaborated a little bit on that, and improved it a little bit. Um, and before we ended up like when Johan joined is when we started working on that for EOS, which I think was maybe about a year after Graymass was formed. Um, but 
before all of that, like for me, I like I mentioned ChainDB and some of the other applications I was using didn't have the greatest experience. And that's where Johan came from as well, was that we were all, both of us, and I think now more people on the team have this experience and so do many other people in the industry. Um, they went and they tried to build applications and they built some really cool applications, but the stumbling block was that first step. It's when the user has to sign up to participate in this decentralized environment. Um, and for those of us on our team, we set aside the app development at that point in time and decided to focus on the new user experience and not only, I guess, the new user experience, but that experience of using any application. Um, and so it's, like I said, it's been a long process. We have been kind of bootstrapped for the vast majority of Graymass's life. Um, for the first, I want to say, three or four years of Graymass, probably three, um, there were only three developers working on this, so things went rather slow. But we continually churned out new versions of Anchor, new SDKs, things like Fuel and Unicove. Um, and none of them are done per se, but we're ramping up the team now and finally starting to put some polish on these products. And I, hopefully we're going to tie it all together into these new SDKs for um, EOS and all other Antelope blockchains to get one step closer to that user experience that we set out to solve so many years ago. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big theme for all the products at Graymass is their um, compatibility. Um, you know, some of these things sometimes seem like just distinct products with their own silos, but the truth is like Unicove is designed to seamlessly work with Anchor as the authenticator and Graymass Fuel powers both so that users can get free transactions when they're using them. Uh, the APIs that we've built support um, th those products. Uh, and it all kind of blends together seamlessly. And then you can see that this is like a foundation upon which act actual user-facing applications could be built that leverage all this infrastructure. And hopefully, it is it is our team's hope that we will get back to those kinds of products. Like, I'd love to try building a forum again. I know Johan would like trying to build a blogging platform again. Yeah. Um, we'd like to try to build some sort of social network around that kind of stuff, or at least an experience of that. But we... We tried it once <laughs> and the user experience was the barrier. So we're going to solve that first and then we'll come back to it. Yeah. And I think from the team's perspective, there's no shortage of ideas for interesting things that could be built on top of all this once that infrastructure is ready. You know, you yeah. mentioned social networks. There's, um, you know, getting back to some of the content stuff that, that was kicked off originally in the Steam world, games, all sorts of things that, um, you know, the Antelope framework really lends itself well to. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as we can nail that user experience, make it easy to onboard, easy to perform transactions, and make it so it's not annoying for so many use cases, you know, there are, there's a lot of work. And like you said, everything we build kind of plays together. They're all intertwined somehow. And there are probably at least a dozen, if not two dozen, like software projects out on GitHub that are part of that like interconnected web of technologies that's kind of fusing together to create all of those products. 
Absolutely. Now, we've gotten a little bit into future of Grandmaster territory, and this was supposed to be something of a history of Grandmaster yeah. episode. But um, going back a little bit and thinking about, you know, the 2018 timeframe when the EOSIO chain first launched, Grandmaster was just you and Scott, very like infrastructure focused with this wallet, and then thinking about what Grandmaster has become today. Like, can you talk a little bit about that evolution and, and what has changed from the perspective of the company and uh, kind of how it's structured? looks and what the company is focused on yeah i mean it did start off started with i guess three technically um daniel came in really really early on and helped build anchor in the beginning or eos voter i guess i should call it um so the t three of us worked for quite some time i don't know exactly how long without digging up you know records or something um just exclusively on EOS Voter, I would say. Um, it was a self-contained application. It didn't sign external transactions. Um, and then I think it was around the time that you and Johan joined that we kind of shifted focus to be that DAP signer. Um, as far as how things changed, I mean, that was kind of our original trajectory. Uh, at that point in time, we really didn't know how many other organizations were going to be contributing to the client side, you know, like the end user experience of all of this. We had block one in the mix. Uh, they had been working on some tech for like an authenticator, which is the direction we ended up going. Uh, we didn't know if we should try to compete with them due to their gigantic war chest. Uh, they were building SDKs. Um, they launched a lot of that stuff. And I think what changed over time is both block one and the other block producers and the other, I guess, just companies in the space. Um, I think we ended up being one of the few, I don't want to say the only one because there are others, but one of the few that actually continued to focus on the end user experience when a lot of these other organizations that looked like they were going to contribute stopped. So I, somewhere in maybe 2019 or 20. Yeah, probably in 2019, we just had to take a lot more work on to realize this vision. And that's ultimately why a lot of stuff has been very, very slow. Um, you know, we had to essentially reinvent most of the code that was created externally from Graymast, whether it was uh, the JavaScript library or the Swift library, uh, the signing protocol, the way an authenticator works. Um, we had to, there were kind of examples of that and we had to basically do it from scratch. So with our tiny team of five at that point, um, over continuing over time, like our team continued to grow. Like I think we're up to 10 or 11 right now. Um, and not all developers were trying to get people to support us in our development efforts, um, as well as onboarding new developers, but there's been a lot of like mindset shifts about like what gray mass has to do to achieve its goal of making an end user experience good based on what everybody else was doing in the ecosystem. Um, there, there's a lot of examples of that. I like one that comes to mind is like EOS New York, which used to be a prominent block producer. Um, they were working on kind of some SDKs to connect wallets to applications. 
and somewhere along the way they joined block one as a, a public relations relations team and development of that sdk stopped so mm-hmm. it was promising and development just halted it halted to the point where like i think at that point in time we were introducing fuel so that way people didn't have to worry about cpu and net and buying ram and things like that um but like we couldn't even get fuel integrated into the SDKs to give it to the applications that were using our tech. Like we had to abandon that direction and pivot to the point where we could now offer that in our own SDKs. And so that's what we did. And now here we are a couple of years later and we're talking about building a brand new series of SDKs that would replace all of that. But there are, there's probably a good handful of projects like this that were being developed in parallel that stopped and that um, us being the crazy people we are decided to take on. So that's been a large shift uh, in how Graymass fits into the ecosystem and how our expectations kind of changed over time. Yeah, and that kind of leads me into my final question, which is like, uh, I guess a little bit more about the the present and future of, of Gray Mass as a company, but there's obviously been this evolution of um, you know what this entity has looked like since the beginning. Um, the different things we're building, the different things we're focusing on, the growing of the team, and like if if someone were to ask you, how do you describe Gray Mass as a company? Is it a you know just a, a tech company, an infrastructure company, uh, a, a product studio, a crypto company, like? How do you describe what it is that we do at this point in time? Really generically, um, it's that we provide software and services for the blockchain industry. Uh, we're a really unique company. I don't know that there's a, I mean, we're not unique in our ecosystem. I mean, we are, but we aren't. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that, but <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line to draw, but um we're weird because we don't sell anything um i mean we do now we sell accounts but that's because it costs us money to uh, create those accounts we can't just give them away we've always kind of had a lack of funding um but the whole point of saying we don't sell products is that these networks through block production pay us and we have over this whole time, utilize those block production rewards to avoid taking investment, to avoid um, compromising on our vision of what the end user experience should be. And we have used that skill set that we developed in the Steam days to be a block producer and then dedicate the, that funding to, to build a team, to build the software that ultimately kind of achieves that goal of creating this user experience that we want to see. Um, It's been a very bumpy road. We've been through multiple bear markets at this point and block production rewards during these times are really rough because we're bound to the price of the token. Um, But we've kind of learned how to navigate that. Um, So I guess in a lot of senses, we are a crypto company, but we're we're not a crypto company. we're financed as a crypto company, but we're really a kind of a product studio and a technology development studio that also provides services. Um, mainly because we need those services for our products. 
you know? And whenever we yeah. build one, we want to make it so that hopefully other people can use them as well. Um, and that it's not just bound to us because that's part of the bigger vision for the end user experience is like these decentralized ecosystems are going to thrive when anybody can build their application in this decentralized manner. Um, and it shouldn't just like the tech shouldn't just be limited to like a single killer app, which I think we've seen a lot of people try to do and not do that great. Yeah, I mean, I think the framework that I've used to describe it certainly in more recent times is like we're a crypto native product studio because yeah. we are a product studio, but it doesn't necessarily look the same as as what you'd see in other areas of tech because being a crypto native company comes with a lot of weirdness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, you, you know, just th things look different. And I think, you know, we've talked about this and we definitely want to do a future episode or maybe a, a number of episodes kind of talking about like what it looks like to be a crypto native company and and how how we uniquely operate and giving people a little bit more of a, a look behind the curtain of what goes on at Gray Mass and, and um, you know, just what it means to be a crypto native product studio. So I definitely uh, I definitely think if people are interested in that, we'll, we'll we'll do some episodes on that in the future. Yeah. There's multiple paths we could go down that are that kind of just talks about the history we have going. Um, like you mentioned, like how have we survived as a company not selling anything? Um, <laughs> how do we like, we dived a lot into like how we got to where we are today, but there's the future of where we're heading, um, how close we think we are. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just the fact that for years we've been a company that operates with an income that's denominated in uh, a token that exists in one of the most volatile financial markets on planet earth. So yeah. there's yeah. a lot of, you know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't look like a lot of other companies for that reason. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's been really, I mean, you know this, but I'll tell everyone listening that it's really hard to recruit people to come work for you when you're paying out in tokens uh, like EOS. Yeah. Like they're like, wait, I don't have a salary. I don't have benefits. You're just going to pay me in this token that might be worth one dollar or ten dollars like i have no idea how much i'm gonna get paid um it takes a special breed to make that leap and uh accept those risks yeah definitely we're all but a little it's, crazy yeah it's the only way to get here though and to get to that end goal without like selling out and compromising that vision yeah yeah i think that's that's probably an interesting to, thing to discuss on future episodes just like what it you know what the finance financials of being a, a block producer and, and all of that, um, you know, kind of the reality of that. And yeah. there's, there's different models that, that we've explored and, you know, that's not, not the only thing, but certainly for a long time it was, and it was a, it was pretty interesting time with, with different, you know, uh, benefits and challenges that came with it. Absolutely. Um, well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I mean, hopefully people, people got some insight into, the the history of of this organization and and how it came to be um and yeah thanks aaron and um let's uh, yeah. let's do this again soon and continue to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes stuff at Graymas. yeah absolutely and this is completely off the cuff but i mean if people are listening to this and have specific questions like maybe we can use that for content in future episodes where we are talking about the crazy world that we operate in yeah, definitely. Shoot us an email, um, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, if you have stuff that you'd like to hear us discuss, we'd uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely.
Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Aaron. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone.